You're listening to The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. This audiobook is brought to you by Kriti and it's narrated by Aishwarya. Chapter 6 About this time, an ambitious young reporter from New York arrived one morning at Gatsby's door and asked him if he had anything to say. Anything to say? About what? inquired Gatsby politely. Why? Any statement to give out? It transpired after a confused five minutes that the man had heard Gatsby's name around his office in a connection which he either wouldn't reveal or didn't fully understand. This was his day off and with laudable initiative he had hurried out to see. It was a random shot and yet the reporter's instinct was right. Gatsby's notoriety spread about by an hundred who had accepted his hospitality and so became authorities upon his past and also had increased all summer until he fell just a short of being news. Contemporary legends such as the underground pipeline to Canada attached themselves to him and there was one persistent story that he didn't live in a house at all but in a boat that looked like a house and was moved secretly up and down the long island shore just why these invention were a source of satisfaction to james gats of north dakota is an easy to say james gats that was really or at least legally his name he had changed it at an age of 17 and at a specific moment that witnessed the beginning of his career when he saw Dan Scody Yatch drop anchor over the most insidious flat on Lake Superior. It was James Gatz who had been loafing along the beach that afternoon in a torn green jersey and a pair of canvas pants, but it was already Jay Gatsby who poured a rowboat, pulled out to a tobolin and informed Cody that what a wind might catch him and breaking up in a half an hour i suppose he had the name ready for a long time even then his parents were shiftless and unsuccessful farm people but his imagination had never really accepted them as his parents at all the truth was that j gatsby of west egg long island sprang from his platonic conception of himself he was a son of god a phrase which if it means anything means just that he had been a most about his father's business the service of a vast vulgar and mediterranean beauty so he invented just the sort of j gatsby that a 17 year old boy would be likely to invent and to his conception He was faithful to the end for over a year he had been beating his way along the south shore of Lake Superior as a clam digger and a salmon fisher or in any other capacity that brought him food and bed his brown hardening body lived naturally through the half fierce half lazy work of a bracing day he knew women early and since This spoiled him he became the contemptus of them of a young virgins because they were ignorant 
of the other because they were hysterical about things which in his overwhelming self-absorption he took for granted. But his heart was in constant, turbulent riot. The most gorgeous and fantastic conceits haunted him in his bed at night. A universe of infathomable guardians spun itself out of his brain while the clock ticked on the washstand and the moon soaked with wet light his tangled clothes upon the floor. Each night he added to the patterns of his fancies until drowsiness closed down upon some vivid scene with an oblivious embrace. For a while, these rivers provided an outlet for his imagination. They were a satisfactory hint of an unreality of his reality and a promise that the rock of the world was founded securely on a fairy's wing. An instinct towards his fury glowed had led him some months before to the small Lutheran college of St. Olive's in southern Minostone. He stayed there two weeks, dismayed at his ferocious indifference to the drums of his destiny, to destiny itself, and despising the janitor's work which he had to pay with his on the way. Then he drifted back to the Lake Superior and he was still searching for something to do on the day that Dan Cody's yacht dropped anchor in the shallow alongshore. Cody was five years old then, a product of Nevada silver fields, of the Yukon, of every rush for metal since 75. The transduction in Montana copper that made him many times a millionaire found him physically robust, but on the verge of soft-mindedness and suspect this, an infinite number of women tried to separate him from his money. The none-too-savory ramification by which L.A.K., the newspaper women, played Madame de Mantienter to his weakness and set him to sea in a yacht were common property of the turgid journalism in 1902. He had been coasting all along to hospital shore for five years when he turned up as James Gatsby destiny in Little Girl Bay. To young Gats resting on his oars and looking up at a rail deck, that yatch represented all the beauty and glamour in the world. I suppose he smiled at Cody. He had probably discovered that the people liked him while he smiled. At any race, Cody asked him a few questions. One of them elected the brand new name and found that he was quick and exuberantly ambitious. A few days later, he took him to Dulwich and bought him a blue coat, six pairs of white duck trousers and a yachting cap. And when the Tulum left for the West Indies and the Barbara coast, Gatsby left too. He was employed in a vague personal capacity. While he reminded with Cody, he was in turn steward, mate, skipper, secretary, and even jailer for Dan Cody, who sober knew when language doing Dan Cody drunk might soon be about to, and he provided for such contagious 
by reposing more and more trust in Gatsby. The arrangement lasted five years, during which the boat went three times around the continent. It might have lasted indefinitely, except for the fact that Ella Kay came on board one night in Boston, and a week later, Dan Cody in hospitality died. I remember the portrait of him up in Gatsby's bedroom, a grey, florid man with a hard, empty face, the pioneer Dipacho, who was during one phase of American life, brought back to the eastern seaboard the savage violence of the frontier brothel and saloon. It was indirectly due to the Cody that Gatsby drank so little. Sometimes in the course of gay parties, women used to rub champagne into his air. For himself, he formed the habit of letting liquor alone. And it was from Cody that he inherited money, a legacy of $25,000. He didn't get it. He never understood the legal device that was used against him, but what reminded of the millionth went intact to Ella K. He was left with his singularity appropriate education, the way contour of J. Gatsby, and had filled out to be a substantially of the men. He told me all this very much later, but I put it down here with the idea of exploding those first wild rumors about his ancestors, which weren't even faintly true. Moreover, he told it to me at a time of confusion where I had reached the point of believing everything and nothing about him. So I take advantage of this short halt while Gatsby, so to speak, caught his breath to clear this set of misconception away. It was a halt in my association with his affairs. For several weeks, I didn't see him or hear his voice on the phone. Mostly, I was in New York, trottering around with Jordan and trying to integrate myself with a senile aunt, but finally, I went over to his house one Sunday afternoon. I hadn't been there two minutes when somebody brought Tom Buchanan in for a drink. It was trantled naturally, but the really surprising thing was that it hadn't happened before. They were a party of three on horseback, Tom and a man named Sloan and a pretty woman in a brown riding habit who had been there previously. I am delighted to see you, said Gatsby, standing on his porch. I am delighted that you dropped in, as though they carried. Sit right down, have a cigarette or a cigar. He walked around the room quickly, ringing bells. I'll have something to drink for you in just a minute. He was profoundly affected by the fact that Tom was there, but he would be uneasy anyhow until he had given them something, realizing in a vague way that was all they came for. Mr. Sloan wanted nothing. A lemonade? No thanks. A little camping? Nothing at all. Thanks. I'm sorry. Did you have a nice ride? Very good roads around here. I suppose the automobiles. Yeah, moved by an irresistible impulse, 
Gatsby turned to Tom, who had accepted the introduction as a stranger. I believe we met somewhere before, Mr. Buchanan. Oh, yes, said Tom, gruffly polite, but obviously not remembering. So we did, I remember very well, about two weeks ago. That's right, you were with Nick here. I know your wife, continued Gatsby, almost aggressively. That's so? Tom turned to me. You live near here, Nick? Next door. Oh, that's so? Mr. Sloan didn't enter into a conversation, but lounged back hauntily in his chair. The women said nothing, either until unexpectedly, after two highballs, she became cordial. We all come over to your next party, Mr. Gatsby, she suggested. What do you say? Certainly, I'd be delighted to have you. Be very nice, said Mr. Sloan, without gratitude. Well, thing ought to be starting home. Please don't hurry, Gatsby urged them. He had control of himself now and he wanted to see more of Tom. Why don't you? Why don't you stay for supper? I wouldn't be surprised if some other people dropped in from New York. You come to supper with me? said the lady enthusiastically. Both of you? This included me. Mr. Sloven got to his feet. Come along, he said, but to her only. I mean it, she insisted. I'd like to have you. Lots of room here. Gatsby looked at me questionably. He wanted to go and he didn't see that Mr. Sloven had determined he shouldn't. I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to do so, I said. Well, you come, she urged, concentrating on Gatsby. Mr. Sloan murmured something close to her ear. We won't be late if we start now, she insisted aloud. I haven't got a horse, said Gatsby. I used to ride in the army, but I've never bought a horse. I have to follow you in my car. Excuse me for just a minute. The rest of us walked out of the porch where Sloan and the lady began an impassionate conversation aside. My God, I believe the man's coming, said Tom. Doesn't he know that she doesn't want him? She say she does want him. She had a big dinner party. She won't know a soul there. He frowned. I wonder where in the devil he met Daisy. But God, I made me the old-fashioned in my ideas where women run around too much these days to suit me. They meet all kinds of crazy fish. Suddenly, Mr. Sloan and the lady walked down the steps and mounted their horses. Come on, said Mr. Sloan to Tom. We are late. We have to go. And then to me, tell him we couldn't wait. Will you? Tom and I shook hands. The rest of us exchanged a cool nod and they trotted quickly down the drive, disappearing under the August foliage just as Gatsby, which hat and light overcoat in his hand, came out to the front door. Tom was evidently perturbed at Daisy's running around alone, for the following Saturday night 
he came with her to Gatsby's party. Perhaps his presence gave the evening its peculiar quality of apprehension. It stand out in my memory from Gatsby's other party that summer. They were the same people, or at least the same sort of people, the same perfusion of campaign, the same many-colored, many-keyed combination, but I felt an unpleasantness in the air, a pervading harshness that hadn't been there before. Or perhaps I had made it itself with its own standard and its own great figure, second to nothing because it had no consciousness of being so. And now I was looking into it again through Daisy's eye. It is invariably saddening to look that new eyes at things upon which you have expended your one power of own judgment. They arrived at twilight and as we strolled out among the sparkling hundred, Daisy's voice was playing murmurous tricks in her throat. These things excite me so, she whispered. If you want to kiss me any time during the evening, Nick, just let me know that I'll be glad to arrange it for you. Just mention my name or present a green card. I'm giving out green. Look around, suggested Gatsby. I'm looking around. I'm having a marvelous sight. You must see the faces of many people you've heard about. Tom arrogant eyes roamed the crowd. We don't go around very much, he said. In fact, I was just thinking I don't know a soul here. Perhaps you know that lady. Gatsby indicated a gorgeous woman who was sat in a state of under a white plum tree. Tom and Daisy stared with that peculiarity, unreal feeling that accompanies the recognition of a heritage, ghostly celebrity of a movie. She's lovely, said Daisy. The man bending over her is her director. He took them ceremoniously from group to group. Mrs. Buchanan and Mr. Buchanan, after an instant hesitation, he added the polo player. Her no, objected Tom quickly. Not me. But evidently, the sound of it pleased Gatsby for Tom and reminded him that the polo player for the rest of the evening. I've never met so many celebrities, Daisy exclaimed. I like that man. What was his name? With a sort of blue nose? Gatsby identified him, adding that he was a small producer. Well, I liked him anyhow. I'd a little rather not to be a polo player, said Tom curiously. I would rather look at all these famous people in oblivion. Daisy and Gatsby danced. I remember being surprised by his graceful, conservative Foxford. I've never seen him dance before. Then they sauntered over to my house and sat on the steps for half an hour while at her request, I remained watchfully in the garden. In case there's a fire or a flood, she explained, or any act of God. Tom appeared from his oblivion as we were sitting down to supper together. 
Do you mind if I eat with some people over here? He said. A fellow's getting off some funny stuff. Go ahead, answered Daisy genuinely. And if you want to take down any addresses, here's my little gold pencil. She looked around after a moment and took me the girl was common but pretty. And I know that they were except for half an hour she'd been alone with Gatsby. She wasn't having a good time at all. We were at a particular tipsy table. That was my fault Gatsby had been called to the phone and I'd enjoyed these same people only two weeks before. But what had amused me then turned to be skeptical on the air now. How do you feel, Miss Beeder? The girl addressed was turning unsuccessfully to slum against my shoulder. At this inquiry, she sat down and opened her eyes. What? A massive and legacy woman who had been urging Daisy to play golf with her at a local club tomorrow spoke in Mrs. Beeder's defense. Ho, oh, she's all right now. When she's had five or six cocktails, she always starts screaming like that. I'll tell her she ought to leave it alone. I do leave it alone, affirmed the accused hollowly. We heard you yelling, so I said to Doc Kivet here, there's somebody that needs your help, Doc. She must oblige. I'm sure, said another friend without gratitude, but you got her dress all wet when you stuck her head in the pool. Anything I hate is to get my head stuck in a pool, mumbled Miss Beeder. They almost drowned me once over in New Jersey. Then you ought to leave it alone, countered Dr. Kivett. Speak for yourself, cried Miss Beeder violently. Your handshakes, I wouldn't tell you, operate on me. It was like that, almost that last thing I remember was standing with Daisy and watching the movie picture director and his star. They were still under the white plum tree and their faces were touching except for a pale, thin ray of moonlight between them. It occurred to me that he had been very slowly bending towards her all evening to attain his proximity and even while I watched I saw him stood one ultimate degree and kiss at her cheek. I like her, said Daisy. I think she's lovely. But the rest offended her and inarguably because it was a gesture but an emotion. She was appalled by West Egg, this unprecedented place that Broadway had begotten upon a long island fishing village appealed by its raw vigor that coughed under an old euphemism and by the too obstructive fate that herded its inhabitants along a shortcut from nothing to nothing. She was something awful in the very simplicity she failed to understand. I sat on a friend's steps with them while they waited for their car. It was dark here in front. Only the bright door sent ten square feet of light walling out 
into a swathed black hole this morning. Sometimes a shadow moved against a dressing room, blind above, and it gave to another shadow an indefinite process of shadow who roared and powered in an invisible glass. Who is this Gatsby anyhow? demanded Tom suddenly. Some big bootlegger. Where you hear that? I inquired. I didn't hear it. I imagined it. A lot of these newly rich people are just big bootlegger, you know. Not Gatsby, I said shortly. He was silent for a moment. The pebbles of the drive crunched under his feet. Well, he certainly must have strained himself to get this menagerie together. A breeze stirred the grey haze of daisy, fur collar. At least, they are more interesting than the people we know, she said with an effort. You don't look so interesting. Well, I am. Tom laughed and turned to me. Do you notice Daisy's face when the girl asked her to put her under a cold shower? Daisy began to sing with the music in a husky rhythmic whisper, bringing out a meaning in each word that it had never had before and would never have again. When the melody rose her voice, broke up sweetly, following it, in a way contractile voice have, and each change tipped a little of a warm human magic upon the air. Lots of people come who haven't been invited, she said suddenly. That girl hasn't been invited. They simply forces their way in and he's too polite to object. I'd like to know who he is and what he does, insisted Tom, and I think I'll make a point of finding out. I can tell you right now, she answered. He owned some drugstores, a lot of drugstores. He built them up by himself. The dilatory luminescence came rolling up the drive. Good night, Nick, said Daisy. Her glance left me and sought the lightened top of the steps. Three o'clock in the morning, a neat, sad little watch of that year was drifting out of the open door. After all, in the very casualness of Gatsby's party, there was romantic possibilities totally absent from her world. What was it up there in the song that seemed to be calling her back inside? What would happen now in the dim, incalculable horse? Perhaps some unbelievable guest would arrive, a person indefinitely rare and to be marveled at some authentically radiant young girl who with one fresh glance at Gatsby, one moment of magical encounter would bolt out those five years of unwavering devotion. I'd stayed late that night. Gatsby asked me to wait until he was free and I lingered in the garden until the inevitable swimming party had run up, chilled and exalted from a black beach until the lights were extinguished 
in a guest room overhead when he came down the step at last the tanned skin was drawn unusually tight on his face and his eyes were bright and tired she didn't like it he said immediately of course she did she didn't like it he insisted she didn't have a good time at all he was silent and i guessed at his unutterable depression i feel far away from her he said it's hard to make her understand you mean about the dance the dance he demised all the dances he had given with a snap of his finger old sport the dance is unimportant he wanted nothing less of daisy that she should go to tom and say i'd never loved you after she had obliterated four years with that sentence they could decide upon the more practical measures to be taken one of them was that after she was free they were to go back to losville and be married from her house just as if it is were five years ago and she doesn't understand he said she used to be able to understand with sit for hours he broke off and began to walk up and down to desolate a path of fruit rinds and discarded flowers and crushed flowers i would ask too much of her i ventured you can't repeat the past can't repeat the past he cried incredulously why of course you can he licked around him widely as if the past were lurking her in the shadow of his house just one out of reach of his hand i'm going to fix everything just the way it was before he said nodding determinedly she'll see he talked a lot about the past and i gathered that he wanted to recover something some idea of himself perhaps that had gone into loving daisy his life had been confused and disordered since then but if he could once return to a certain starting place and go over it all slowly he could find out what that thing was one autumn night 5 years before they had been walking down the street when the leaves were falling and they came to a place where there were no trees and the sidewalk was white with moonlight they stopped here and turned towards each other now it was a cool night with that mysterious excitement in it which comes at the two changes of the year the quiet lights in the houses were humming out into a darkness and there was a stir and bustle among the stars out of the corner of his eyes gatsby saw that the blocks of the sidewalks really formed a ladder and mounted to a secret place above the trees he could climb to it if he climbed alone and once there he could stuck on a path of life gulp down the incomparable milk of wonder his heart beat faster as daisy's white face came up to his own he knew that when he kissed this girl 
and forever wits his unutterable vision to her perceivable breath his mind would never rob again like the mind of god so he waited listening for a moment longer to a turning fork that had been stuck upon a star then he kissed her at his lips touches she bloomed for him like a flower and the incarnation was complete through all he said even through his appealing sentimentality i reminded of something a elusive rhythm a fragment of lost word that i heard somewhere a long time ago for a moment a phrase tried to take shape in my mouth and my lips parted like a dumb man's as though there was more struggling upon them that a wave of startled air but they made no sound and what i had almost remembered was uncommunicable forever